Did y'all know it was Easter? Man, our Sunday school class it about jumped the banks this morning. Because we talked about the fact that it's Easter every day for a believer. It's been Easter. Listen, we, we counted up roughly 2,000 years ago when the resurrection took place. There's been over 730,000 days. And never has one of those days awakened that Jesus was not alive. In 1986, I went to Jerusalem. I went inside the tomb. We took pictures. We walked around the garden. Can I tell you, he wasn't there. He's still not there. Hallelujah. This morning, for those who have been listening for several months uh, in roughly 30 messages, we have been preaching through the Gospel of Mark. And today on Easter morning, we conclude in chapter 16, the servant of God. The servant of God, the sovereign servant that came, that came from heaven, made lower than the angels, who took on the robe of flesh, who served others, who washed the disciples' feet, who fed the 5,000, who walked on the water, who raised the dead, who healed the sick, who caused the blind to see. Now, has gone to Calvary. And for no sin that he had committed, died the most gruesome of deaths. Hung between two thieves, Jesus paid it all. But he says in chapter 16, in verse 1, And when the Sabbath was passed, I've seen it mentioned several times this past week. Yesterday we had a busy day doing different things. It was Saturday all day. But Sunday was coming. They had crucified Christ and it was the Passover and they were taking care of fulfilling the Old Testament law. They were eating the Seder and they were doing the things and not doing the things that was ordered by the law. The chief priest had went to the rulers and said, oh, put a guard. They're going to try to come steal his body. They put a guard outside the tomb. They did all the things to try to ensure their victory. But now the Passover was passed. And Sunday had come. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they may come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said unto themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. 
for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were very afraid. And he said unto them, Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. Come on, church. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. As he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. For they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man. For they were afraid. This morning as we conclude the series of the Sovereign Servant of God, we look at the risen Savior. As we look back over these 16 and the 15 chapters we preach up until today, we see it broke down simply like this in the Gospel of Mark. Chapters 1 through 7, you see the mighty work of the servant. You see him doing the great Miracles In chapters 8 through 15, you hear his prophecy, you hear the parables, you hear the messages that Jesus preached. You hear him prophesy of his coming demise, but also of his glorious resurrection. But here in chapter 16, today we see the mighty witness of the sovereign servant savior he wasn't just a servant he was a sovereign servant over all things yet humbled himself he wasn't just a sovereign servant but he is a sovereign serving savior who is Christ the Lord coming and dying on a cross that you and I might be born again and so today we begin by looking at his victory over the grave. His victory over the grave. Look at verse 1 again with me. And when the Sabbath was passed, these two Marys came and Salome, and they brought sweet spices that they may come and anoint him. I want you to understand today, as we look at the next slide, we see his victory over the grave in the fact that he made sure and sealed death's destruction. I hate death. I hate any kind of death. The older I get, man, you know when we're kids, we watched Old Yeller. If you didn't cry when Old Yeller died, you don't have a heart. <laughs> but then, you know, you, I, I grew up and got older and started hunting and all this stuff and that heart kind of hardened a little bit. But the older I've got, I can't stand to see death. I have been at the graveside of many, many hundreds, hundreds of people. I have stood over your families, caskets, and I have stood as a chaplain and as a requested preacher just because they believe grandma somewhere in her past went to church. 
But there was no real evidence of any relationship with Jesus Christ. And may I tell you, and I've said it many, many, many times, if I preach your funeral and there is no testimony, I'm not going to tell anybody there was. Because there is nothing I can say over you that can get you to glory. What you do with Jesus right now today is what matters. Because you see, I can't do anything about death. I've stood with loved ones and we've prayed, we've prayed. I have as a pastor, I believe in all of Scripture, amen? I believe in Genesis and the creation story. I believe it's literal. I don't believe it's figuratively uh, uh, presented. I don't believe that Revelation is some fairy tale. I believe it's going to happen. But I also believe the Gospel of John and uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And I believe the letter of James. And in James it talks about the prayer of faith and the anointing and laying on of hands for those who are sick among us. But can I tell you, I've had those who have come and said, Pastor, will you gather the elders of the church and anoint me and pray over me? Because I've been diagnosed with this or I'm facing this. And I've seen God do great things and heal them. And I've also anointed those who have come and said, Pastor, please pray. And they died. You say, well, you didn't pray hard enough. Your faith was not strong enough. I love the fact that we are, we're getting a little more mature in some ways about death. And realizing that's the greatest healing of them all for a believer. You said you believed in the Word of God, right? He said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the what? Death of His saints. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And even as born-again believers, we still fight daily in this flesh. I don't know about you, but it gets tiring. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection shows victory over death's destruction. Think about it. We call the first book of the Bible Genesis, the beginning. But it is as much about death as it is about the beginning. For in Adam all sinned, am I right? And he said, if you eat of that one thing, that one fruit I've told you not to, you shall surely die. And Adam died, and Eve died, and Cain slew his brother, and Abel died, and Abraham died, am I right? And Isaac died, and Rachel died, and all them boys, and Joseph died. Job, and we heard Thursday night in our men's steak supper about Job and the death of his family. We see the death of Lot's family. We see the death of, of, of Jesus and the, and the thieves on either side. Can I tell you something? We, we, we always wrestle with the whole thing about death. The, the thing about Job in chapter 14 of Job, in between 
the death and, and, and the, the curse of sin causing such heartache and trials in his life and the end where God blesses him right smack dab in the middle in chapter 14, Job asked the question we all deal with. If a man die, will he live again? You know what his answer was? His answer was not. Yes, he shall live again, either in glory or in... No, he said, I will wait till my change comes. For he was looking dimly toward the future as we look backwards to the cross. The cross standing over all time, all countries. And listen, when Adam sinned, it brought death not just to the human beings, but even our laws, uh, our, our scientific laws that we discover, we do, don't develop. God instituted, but death of civilizations. When we go to Guatemala, we'll go right by the Mayan ruins. And that civilization part in that country died out hundreds of years ago. And great kingdoms have risen and fallen. And lands and animals and other things have died out. Why? Because of sin. And one day, this earth will cease. Am I right? The heavens and earth shall be burned up with a fervent heat and there will be a new heaven and a new earth because of his victory over the grave. Death was never meant to be easy. I don't care if you're 112 years old. It's not supposed to be easy because God didn't create death. Death came because of the corruption of that which is good. Yet Jesus, seeing that disparity of death, came and fulfilled it so that we may know life and have it more abundantly. He, listen, it's victory over death's destruction, but over death's despair. Oh, man. The despair. Look in verses 2 and 3. And very early in the morning they came, and they came to the tomb. And they said, who will roll away the door, the stone from the door? They were just in a tither. They had no hope. They had no hope because they were coming to a tomb. And they were coming to a sealed tomb. How many of us are going to a crippled up, weak, need, feeble Jesus? Or do we anticipate going to the one who is risen? They came to a sealed tomb expecting a dead Messiah. No hope. And then the angel said, why seek ye the living among the dead? You got this thing all out of kilter. He's not here. He is risen. I love in the other gospel where they go said, listen, if you'll just tell me where you put him. They still were not convinced, though the stone was rolled away. Oh, they've taken him. Where have you taken him? We'll just go get him. And he said, Mary. Has Jesus ever just spoke those little quiet words, called you by name? You're like, oh, it's you, Lord. 
They had no hope without Jesus. We have no hope. This world, listen, I will tell you, CNN and Fox and every side of the political aisle and every uh, uh, philosophy of mankind stake upon each other and every self-help book and every health guru and every pill in every format in every hospital can do nothing to help like Jesus. They said, who's going to roll away the stone? You know who rolled it away? It wasn't the Roman soldiers. It was not the disciples. But it was the Lord's will that it be rolled away. God took care of it. Have you ever had anything in your life said, God, listen, I, I know you're God, but I, I don't think you understand the severity of this situation or the weight of this matter. And just like Job, and Job said the same thing. You know that, right? Job said, God, do you not understand? And somewhere around chapter 36, 37, somewhere, God said, tell me something, Job. Can you hold the universe in your hand? Because I can. Can you measure out the waters and hold them in with the sands of the sea? Not only can I do it, I designed it that way. I separated darkness from light. I made the day. I created the animals and the, and the land. I created the firmament. I spoke life into man. That which I had formed out of clay. I want you to understand something about that story. Unless God breathes life into you, you're dead and will remain dead. You can formulate all the Easter's and all the Christmases and all, listen, I, I, I'm talking about you can go to church seven times a week. You can give, I mean, you could pay for this whole mission trip to Guatemala. You can be baptized in every church and every denomination in the world and die and go to hell if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you could be good enough, if you could do enough, if we could be enough, then why would Jesus go through what he did? But Jesus died that men may go free. See, they had no hope. They had no help. They had no heart. They were just discouraged, broken. Listen, that's the way the church looks today. We look helpless. We look broken. I love what my buddy Mark said Thursday night. He quoted that scripture. I've never heard it this way. He quoted the scripture that Satan is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He said, but understand, as a born-again believer, he is a toothless lion that can just gum on you a little while, but he cannot ultimately do you any harm. I was blown away by that. He can oppress us, but he cannot possess us because we've been bought with the price, the precious blood of the Lamb. There's no help. No help, no hope, no heart. The despair of death, the brokenness, the misery at Jesus healed it all. Look at the fear. In verses 5 and 6, it said they were very affrighted. And he said, do not be fearful. You seek Jesus, got great news. Wonderful news. Yes, he was crucified. But he's not here. He's risen. What are you fearful of? 
Are you afraid that today, if you walked an aisle of, of faithfulness, of, of commitment, that God may make you do something that would be outside your comfort zone? I'm going to tell you something. Everything about this week, this Passion Week is out of the comfort zone. Yet Jesus, the Son of God, left glory, born of a virgin, living without sin, going to a cross, betrayed by his own. He came to his own and his own received him not. A prophet accepted everywhere but in his own country. But fear could not stop him from doing what God, his father, wanted. When will we stop being fearful of obedience to one who can do anything he wants to do? E Esther was afraid, wasn't she? In the Old Testament, Esther was like, oh, Mordecai, but, but I may die. He said, well, so be it. But understand, if you don't do it, you may die. Matter of fact, you're going to die. So why not die serving him than dying in rebellion? And if you don't, God will raise up someone else. His victory over the grave took care of fear. Whom shall I fear? Think about this. Did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? Do you remember later on they tried to kill Jesus and Lazarus? What do you think Lazarus thought? Oh no, they may kill me. He's like, <laughs> you going to kill me? I've been dead. You see that guy? He called me by name and though I was dead, life sprang into me. God raised me. I fear nothing you can do. I sweat no man because he is my savior. Do we live like that? We've got missionaries. We have Christians all over the world giving their lives for Christ. And they walk in that constant state. Yet in the face of such great, great trials and tribulations, they without fear stand for Jesus. Look at the faithlessness. He said in verse 11, And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, they believed not. And after that, he appeared in another form unto two of them, those on the road to Emmaus. As they walked and went into the country, they went and told it unto the residue, to the rest of them. And you know what? They said, oh, hallelujah, let's have a prayer meeting. Let's sing the glorious song of victory. No, neither did they believe them either. Faithlessness. Church, do we really believe he is everything he says he is? Is he worth more than just dressing up one Sunday a year? Is he worth singing the glorious spiritual songs to? Is he worth our time to go on mission, to serve in vacation Bible school, to teach a Sunday school class, to get up and go to a class that studies who he is? To be everything God's called us to be. It's because of his victory over the grave. But notice his victory in each individual believer. It must be upwardly focused. 
upwardly focused. Are, are we looking up? Or are we looking around? I'm going to tell you, you look around at this world, you look around, and you'll stay depressed. You'll, st you'll stay despondent. You look around at the things. I mean, the local news. You know, person dies a suspicious death in a little country town. Parents arrested for burying their kids in the backyard. 50 miles from here. Child human trafficking ring busted in the shadow of our county. School shootings, mass chaos, burnings and torment and trials and tribulations and everything you could imagine. When we look around, it's easy. It's easy to just say, why bother? Well, number one, if we stay upwardly focused, we'll remember who he is. First one of Mark. When we started months ago, says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's the Son of God. We're children of God because He's the Son of God. This whole book, everything, the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the glorious gospel begins and ends with Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the servant of God. He tells us the theme verse of this whole book in 1045 that He didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister. He didn't come to be served. He didn't want them stacking, oh, we want to we give you a seven-course meal and we want to set all the finest china and silverware out. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. No, He came and He girded Himself and He sat down and He got on His knees at the feet of His disciples and washed their feet as a symbol of what he was going to do on the cross. And that's why he told Peter when Peter said, Oh, no, 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 Lord, it's for me to serve you. He said, No, you don't understand, Peter. That's what I've come to do is to serve. Do you realize the Son of God came and died on the cross for you? That he loved you that much? He came to serve you? He's the servant of God. But look at this. He is the victorious Savior. I love this. We'll tie it all together. Luke 2, 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He is victorious Savior. He was born a Savior but bless God, He died and resurrected as Savior. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14 says it this way, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. There is no other. No other. That's why we don't believe all roads lead to one. Amen? We believe that there's only one way. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Is that what the Bible says? It's Jesus. And as we would sing, only Jesus. He is the victorious Savior. He is the vanquishing King. Get this. 
Now, if, you, if there's any, play, any shout in you, if there's any amen anywhere hidden way, way down deep in your soul, it might, it, it might want to come out right here. Because he said in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, look, and behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the beginning and the end. I am Alpha. I am Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. All hail the power of Jesus' name. May we, along with the angels, fall prostrate, prostrate at his feet. Flat out in humility, knowing there is none other. Can you see him riding? Can you see him riding on that horse back out of glory? Can you see him in that valley conquering all of the world's soldiers with just his voice? He is the vanquishing king. No others. They, hit, they hung on the top of his cross. King of the Jews. May I say he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Gentiles. And bless God, he is king of kings, Lord of lords, and no one sits on his throne but him. That's our Jesus. I'm a student of history. So in my children's eyes, I'm a nerd. That's okay. I have studied and I've read and I've watched great men and women come and go. I've studied all world wars and I've seen through world history from the Babylonian Empire to the great Roman Empire with its two swords with the papacy as well as the emperor. And then see it come together and split apart and then ultimately falter and fail. I've seen the great Greek Empire so great through Alexander and others that he united all the living educated world under one language, the language of Corne Greek that we have the New Testament in. Yet God used his war and tactics to bring the word of God into one language to spread it through the Hellenization of the world. He used that which was bad for good. Alexander the Great, they tell me, according to history, was a drunk. And roughly at the same age that Jesus died on the cross, Alexander died. And they... History and legend goes that when they buried him, his last request is bury me with my arms stretched out of my sarcophagus that I may hold the dirt that I have conquered. But the truth is the dirt held him and he returned to it. We have a victorious Savior, and we remember what he did. He said in Luke chapter 24, 
This is, I mean, I love anything that talks about the resurrection, but this is my favorite context. He says, he is not here, but is risen. Remember? 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 He said, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. And they remembered his word. If you're like me, you want to remember the parts you like and forget the rest. We have selective memories. We want to remember the things that we feel like can benefit us, but forget the others. I want you to understand the greatest thing you can remember is that Jesus loves you. Remember what he said. If you had to quote 10 verses to get into heaven, would you make it? Now, you're not going to get to heaven because you can quote scripture. But I'm going to tell you something. A word so powerful that is the very essence of who he is. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we can sing country songs. We can, we, I like old country. Well, I do too. And the shame is I can remember the words to an old Merle Haggard song and sometimes can't remember what God's word says. Shame on me when I can remember the words of an old southern rock song and can't quote to some lost person the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to matter in eternity? That I knew every word to every Leonard Skinner song? God likes rock. He'd like Leonard Skinner. But I don't think that's what's going to matter. But remembering what he says and remembering what he did can, can, can we, we, we teach our kids, we used to teach our kids to remember scripture, quote scripture. They could quote Psalm 23 and they could quote John 3, 16. And, and, and you know what? We said, well, a one is just so laborious. It takes so much time. That's because it's worth pouring into these kids, teaching them the blessed book. Listen, parents, you're too busy to bring your children to learn the word of God. If you won't bring them to Sunday school and you won't bring them to children's ministry on Wednesday night, I can just about guarantee you're not helping them at home. Because people are studying and pouring their life. Yes, you are the number one spiritual caregiver of your children. But God's also called you to be part of a local assembly that we embrace one another and help one another. I know you know more than everybody else that's ever lived before you. But understand, you still need others. We need to remember, first of all, he was virgin born. Unlike any other birth. No other birth, ever. Ever. You know God made man four ways. I've told you all this before, but I'm old. I repeat myself. God made man out of dirt. I've seen a lot of men that smelled still like it. God made man out of dirt. Then God made woman out of man, right? Eve from Adam. And then God made man from man and woman. That's three, right? Dirt, woman from man, man from man and woman. Then God made man from just woman. When the Spirit overshadowed Mary... Unlike a 
major tenet of faith in a very popular largest cult in America. It was not by relations, but by the overshadowing of the Spirit of God that the incorruptible seed, Jesus, prophesied from Genesis 3.15 would begin to live in the womb of Mary. Born of a virgin, sinless life, better than any other life. I'm going to tell you, I've met some good folks, haven't you? Really? Y'all never met good people? Y'all need to get out more. There's some really good people. There's some really good people in this church. We had 63 cakes here Wednesday night. About twice as many as bitters. We had a bunch of cake. That's all right. You ain't got to have a cake to write a big check, put an envelope, write a mission trip on the bottom of it. You don't need the cake anyway. You just need to give and be faithful. I understand that. So thank you for the large gift you're about to give. <laughs> Jesus lived a life better than any other. I've, I've met some wonderful people. Man, I love my grandparents. Me and my mother was talking about this the other day and our memories of our family members and the ones that we remember. I had godly grandparents. Godly parents. I've had godly friends. I mean, y'all seen, I, the guy who spoke here Thursday night, if you did not know that, Mark and I have been friends since first grade. That's a long time. Longer than I care to admit. It's a long time. Now, he's 10 months older than me, so it's been a lot longer for him than me. He's the old man. But since 1970, we've been friends. God has blessed me with a great friend who loves the Lord. But you know what? Nobody can love me like Jesus. Nobody can be as good as Jesus there's only one that's never, ever, 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 never let me down. And it's because of his sinless life. His vicarious death. I love Hebrews 10, 10. He says, for he died once for all. Vicarious in our stead, in our place, Jesus died. He did not deserve it. You and me do. Right. We deserve, oh, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We deserve everything. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment. We deserve justice. We live in a world where it's everybody else's fault. No, it's our fault. It's our fault. We were born into sin. Jesus is the only one who could ever, ever look at the Father and say, it's not my fault. And the Father say, you're right. Yet, he opened not his mouth. And he died for you and me. I love this. It was a victorious resurrection. Only one capable. His father said, son, I need you. I'm going. Consider it done. I and my father are one. He left heaven. Came to earth. Born of a virgin. Lived without sin. Died on a cross. Buried in a borrowed tomb. And gloriously resurrected. Because no one else could do it. 
Yes, many, many, many a man and woman have laid down their life for a friend. But nobody has laid down their life that others may live forever. Only Jesus can do that. But then I want you to notice with me this morning. His victory in all believers is inwardly focused. Remember his commands. Remember, remember his commands. What he, they said, remember what he, what he told us? Remember what we're supposed to be doing? You see, when we remember his, can't, his commands, it's that we believe him. Do we really believe him? Not just believe in him, not just believe on it, but believe him. Daily, for without faith it's impossible to please God. Do you know that? Hebrews eleven six. If we're not walking in faith, living in faith, trusting the Lord with our wife, trusting the Lord with our husband, trusting the Lord with our children, with our job, with our ball, with our school, with our day-to-day -day life, if we're so worried and stressing about all that stuff, then we're not trusting. But if we are trusting him, which without him it's impossible to please God. For we must believe that he is. Do you believe that he is? He is what? That he is the I am. He is the son of God. He is the victorious savior. We believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. What does that mean? What's a rewarder? What's a rewarder? Anybody? You never played a game at Six Flags where you walked up there by the screen machine and you put a quarter in something and you did whatever and every once in a while you won something? And then you walked, you took, you've never been to Chuck E. Cheese? You've never been to the clubhouse and got a bunch of coupons and you go over there? I don't care how little it is, you took all your coupons and, and you took them over there and they counted them, what did they do? They gave you something for your coupons. How many remember green stamps? How many of you remember blue horse stamps? Hey, Neil and my mama. Y'all old. And Neil remembers because it was on the old spiral notebooks that we used in school. It was a little square. It was a blue horse on the front. You cut the blue horses out. Oh, now you remember. It's coming to you. You're even older than the rest of them because you had to remember later. They would reward you with something. When I was a boy, my dad's a barber. And he had an old barber chair in the basement. And when we would go down there, it was just like the third level of Lord of the Rings. And you, you went through this cavernous maze of junk piled in. And you'd go through all these, where he had his tools and everything else and stuff stored. And we would go in and we would sit in that thing. And this, I think it was the rack. They call it a barber chair, but it looked more like the rack. And I, I fully anticipated all-out torment and destruction in my life. To this day, I do not exaggerate. I would rather go to the dentist than have my hair cut. <laughs> not because he ever hurt me or anything. It was just my dad cutting my hair. So I remember a time where dad would say, Hey, if you'll be still, let me get your hair cut. I'll give you something. And he'd give us a 50 cent piece. Or give us a quarter. So that's big money back then. 
50 cent piece? Now I'm getting, you know what? I still hate haircuts, but if somebody pays me, I can get them cut more often. I was rewarded just for being still. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing you have ever done that deserves a reward. Nothing. Because anything good you did is because of Him. Do you understand that? He is a rewarder to those who diligently seek Him. But not just faith in Him, faithfulness to Him. He tells us, listen, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But in verse 10, he says, we are His workmanship created unto Christ Jesus, unto good works. It's by His power, by His authority. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. We do not work to pay off a debt. We work because the debt was paid. It's a labor of love. Faithfulness to Him. And if you think, well, I don't believe you've got to do anything to be saved. You're right. But if you think you can be saved and not ever do anything, then the truth is you never got saved to start with. James tells us that. He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. For faith without works is dead. If you never pray, you never read your Bible, you never want to go to church, you don't want anything to do with God's people, I'm here to tell you this morning, today's a great day for you to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not as a figment of, uh, uh, in your mind, not as something mom and daddy told you about that would always watch over you like a guardian angel. I'm telling you, Jesus will set you free. Stop depending on yourself. And there's a fellowship with Him. I love this scripture. Now we ain't going to have church tonight, so y'all just loosen up. I'll be done when we're done. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says that I may know Him. Philip, we talked about this the other day, that I may know Him. Not that I may know about him, read a bunch of books. Listen, you can read the Bible cover to cover ten times a year and not really know him. You can read your Sunday school book. You can read Oswald Chambers. You can read every Lisa Turkhurst and everything else kind of devotion there is in the world and not know him. He said to know him and the power of his resurrection. We'd like to stop it right there. I know I would. Victory, oh victory. Victory in Jesus. But he said, that power of the resurrection and the what? The fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah, now, come on. Jesus said, I don't believe any, any of that suffering business that Jesus died so I could, I, I could prosper and that I would never get sick and everything would be good. I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus suffered, why do we think we're better and don't deserve it. Because he didn't. The fellowship of his sufferings. That is, as believers, we're going to suffer for his cause. But it's a fellowship with him. It's a fellowship. First John, and I've got to read this to you. He said, if we say that we have fellowship, well, I got fellowship with Jesus. I, talk, I believe in Jesus. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and do not the truth. 
If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, yet your life says you are living in sin and walking in the things of this world, the Bible says you're a liar. And you do not have fellowship with Jesus. Look, his victory in all believers is outwardly focused in the fact that not just remembering his commands, but remembering his commission. He said in verse 15 of Mark chapter 16, And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We know this as the Great Commission, as recorded in Matthew 28, in verses 18 through 20. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Listen, we remember His commission that it is a Spirit-driven eagerness. That the Spirit drives us with an eagerness. I want to go. I want to go to church. I want to go to youth group. I want to go to Guatemala. I want to go to vacation Bible school. I want to sing. I want to pray. I want to worship. Man, I can't wait to get to church Sunday morning. As we talked about in Sunday school, it's not just April 21st. It's June, June 7th. In August the 19th. In October 3rd. In December 26th. In January 9th, it's every day. We ought to get up and want to go for Jesus. It's a spirit-driven eagerness. He said, go. But then go tell. It's a spirit-filled evangelism. The word evangelism is the same base word in the original language that we take the word gospel. Or evangelism. It's good news. It is proclaiming the good news. Go tell. God didn't call pastors to be the only proclaimers. Every believer ever born again has been called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't work in ministry. If you work, you're in ministry. Whether you're in a school or in construction or on a ball field, he said, whatever your hands find to do, do it with what? All your might. He said, and we do our work as unto the Lord. Whether you're driving a concrete truck, or whether you're preaching a message, or cooking, or serving, or cleaning, whatever you do, you're in ministry. Go tell. Tell someone, what am I going to, I don't understand how to tell all this stuff. Listen, can you, do, can, if you're saved, then can you just simply tell people what happened to you? That's how you tell people the good news. Are you saved? Are you truly born again? Then you have a story to tell. Go tell it. I love going around our classroom this morning. I said, when were you saved? They said, this, this. I was saved when I was 10. I was saved when I was 7. Saved when I was 6. I was saved when I was 14. It, around the room, different ages. I was saved. I was saved. I was saved. That don't get old, church. Spirit-filled evangelism. That is out. We need to remember His commission. Spirit-led openness. Go tell 
Everyone. Red, yellow, black, white, they're all precious in his sight. Church, go tell everyone. The people you don't like. He said he would put a table between us and our enemies. Am I right? He said the man who follows the Lord, trusts in the Lord, he said would make even his enemies be at peace with him. Spirit-led openness. Go tell everyone. And then a spirit-taught education. Teach them. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I, I, I want you to understand there's victory in Jesus. There's victory in the individual believer. There's victory for all believers, both inwardly focused, outwardly focused. But in conclusion, I want you to know his victory over everything for all time because of the resurrection. As they come to the instruments this morning, now I don't want stirring around, do not get up, go into the bathroom. There's time for that. This is a holy, sacred time. Do not interfere with the Spirit of God working in someone else's life. I beg you this morning. And I ask you before God and all this congregation, be obedient to the Lord. Do you know who my, my heroes are in life? This morning, my heroes are Frank and Lucy. Those are my heroes today. Because in front of all of you, they were willing to step into that baptistry, face their fears, and tell the world outwardly, Jesus saved me. So stop with the excuses. And start living in the victory that is Jesus Christ the risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when I ask you to stand, I'm going to ask you to be obedient to Him. As a show of faithfulness and trust in Him to come and pray about whatever God's dealing with your heart about. If you're lost and without hope, you know you walk out these doors unchanged if you do not trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why not come and confess Him today? Come and repent of your sins and allow the resurrected Savior to wash you white as snow. Maybe you're in rebellion. Maybe whatever reason you your faith has not grown and you're doubting and living in fear. You need to come and say, God, I, I need a fresh touch. I, I, you don't need to be resaved. You just need to be refreshed. Maybe you need to do as Frank and Lucy this morning and say, I need to be baptized. I need to tell the world outwardly what's happened inwardly. You come take me by the hand. We will pray with you. I've got leaders in the church that will come pray with you without hesitation. Men, other men will pray with you. Women, other women will pray with you. There's nothing to be embarrassed. Do not listen to the lie of Satan. Everybody, know, everybody will think, don't, everybody right now is worried about their own deal. They're not even thinking about your deal. They're worried about their deal. You come get your life right with Him and bask. Live in the victory that is Jesus. Isn't that what Easter's about?
then right now stand and come to Jesus. Without hesitation, come to Jesus.